Well, good morning, everybody. We are so glad you're here to worship with us at Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Baird. I'm the lead pastor here. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you after service. I'll usually be hanging out towards the back by the info table. So please come say hi. I'd love to meet you. And we are on week three of this series called DNA, and we're looking at who we are as a church. Like, what's our makeup? What makes us a unique, just like the DNA of a person is not identical to that of somebody else. And no church is alike either. Uh, there's differences. There's uh, usually the same mission. There should be the same mission, but a uh, variety of ways of, of going about that. So for here at Ridgeview, we've been looking at what's the best way uh, as God has brought all of us at this specific time, in this specific place for this season, uh, what's the, the best way for us to actually get after the mission that God has given us? And so in this series, we've been looking at uh, the specific ways uh, for that to happen and to kind of like draw you in and, and let you know a little bit of like, here's what's driving us. Here's like a chance to look behind the curtain. So this series is kind of a get to know a Ridgeview type thing with the hope that this will give you a, a bridge for which you can, can join us in, in what God is doing. Uh, in this series, uh, again, we're, we're talking about our uniqueness and today we're talking about uh, our strategy, uh, the how behind our church. And I'm gonna get into the specifics of that, but I wanna catch everyone up in case you've missed it. And if you're here, just kind of a reminder of a summary. We've been dealing with this, uh, this series. We started with week one talking about our mission. And if you could put up that first slide, the series review, go to the next one there. And you'll see our uh, frame that kind of captures our uniqueness. Like any sort of uh, art or picture, uh, it needs to have a frame that contains the vision. And that's how it exists for any organization. Uh, there's something that actually needs to be a concrete and specific so that people can see it. If there's a vision, but there's no frame, or there's a picture and there's no frame, uh, how do you know you're looking at it? So the idea is like, this actually clarifies. Uh, as you get specific, it clarifies where we are, who we are, where we're headed, and all those things. So uh, this is the frame. It's four parts, mission, strategy, values, and measures. We've talked about the mission, uh, and if you put that up on, there on the screen, it's inviting people to experience refreshing life in Christ. That's the mission that guides us forth. This is our compass that leads us so we know where we need to be headed. Uh, last week, we talked about um, our uh, values. These are the things that kind of is the flame of our church, what you should feel, the atmosphere, the environment for how we wanna treat each other and the way that we wanna go about church and accomplishing the mission. And they're cohesive. We're a team, proactive. We have a can-do attitude. We're welcoming. We want people to be welcome and included. Uh, we're expansion, expanding. We, we don't want this church to just exist for itself. We wanna continue to reach people. We wanna to continue to proclaim Christ among the earth. And then finally, we wanna be guided by scripture that holds all the values together. We want to do what God says and we wanna do it in real time right here where, where he has us. So that's where we've been, mission, our values. Today, uh, we're talking about our strategy. Uh, there at the bottom, you'll see, and that, that's the specifics uh, that we're gonna get into. But I, I wanna define uh, what strategy uh, is. And so let's look at a strategy. Put that on the screen. Strategy is the process or picture that shows how the church will accomplish the mission on the broadest level. So my, my goal today is to give you a, a little bit of why does the church do what it does? And as we define that, and as we talk about strategy, you'll see like, oh, that's why the church keeps talking about these things. That's why the church keeps offering these things over time in different seasons, because the strategy says like, if you continue to do these things, uh, you'll, you'll grow. So the question is, 
Do, do you want to grow? As a church, do we want to grow? And I think that's a key question. Because if you want to grow and you want to be a different person, and you actually don't want to stay in the same place that you are right now, you have to do certain things. We all have habits. And those habits lead to certain growth. They produce something. Or some habits, they, they actually prevent growth. And it's true for all of us in actually every area of our life. And as a church, it's the same thing. So our strategy is how do we do the right habits according to what God says, because we wanna be guided by scripture, but how do we do the right habits so that we can actually accomplish the mission, inviting people to experience refreshing life in Christ? So here's the question we're talking about today. Strategy, how are we doing it? How do we accomplish our mission? And then how do we make sure that the values that are important to us and more importantly, important to God, how does that actually happen. And so I kind of am going to walk through a, a scripture, uh, but I want the, the, the vision of this uh, to be an icon of a of, of flashlight. And I think there's a picture of that. Um, I don't know about you, but this is kind of one of the scariest images. Like, it's like, at that point, do you really want a flashlight to see? You ever been driving like in the, the wilderness, uh, maybe in like a mountain road and you put your high beams on? You're like, okay, never mind. I don't want to know what's out there, right? But in church, clarity is important. And in life, family life, move, move, like where are we headed? And then how are we gonna do it? We gotta turn the light. So the idea is the picture is this flashlight to illuminate the path that, that we're on. And so strategy literally shows the way. So if you've been a part of Ridgeview for a long time, you'll probably see like, oh yeah, I've, I've done those things. And hopefully by those things that you've done, you've grown. If you're new to Ridgeview, it should give a picture of these are the things that I could do. And if I do them, Maybe I'll grow. So the idea of a strategy is, what's the way forward? Let's illuminate, let's light this path and see how do we continue to do these things over time as a pattern so that we can actually grow. But the good news is, this is always the good news. If you're guided by scripture and you dig into what the scripture says, you don't have to make stuff up. That's actually one of the greatest gifts that I have as a pastor is God's word. Do you know that? Because could you imagine if every week I came and I said, I wonder what I should talk about. That would be really scary, especially for those who, who know me. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, if I just came up, like, this is like a talk show? Like, what do you guys want to talk about? And you guys yell stuff, okay, like, no. I mean, we need to talk about what's real in life, but we don't need our ideas about what's real in life. We need God's ideas, right? We need his plan. We need his help, his commands. And so what's so important and what's such a gift is God's word. It gives us the strategy. It marks the path out for us. And that leads to the first point. The Bible reveals the habits that help us accomplish our mission and grow. If you uh, received a program, you'll, you'll see uh, sermon notes. We have sermon notes every week. Uh, that's for you to be able to take notes. I think one of the, the things that you can do is, is as you take notes, you actually remember it more. Um, so I encourage you, take notes. Uh, there's a scripture that we put on those notes every week. That's in case, you know, you don't have a Bible of your own. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have them at the table, but that way you can see it for yourself after Sunday to reflect more on it. So what I wanna do is, is unpack a scripture from the book of Acts, and we're gonna just spend time on that passage alone. And I wanna set up uh, the context a little bit. If you can go back to that previous point, I wanna set up the context a, a little bit before I read it. And the reason I, I like to not put it up there, because have you ever noticed as soon as you put something up, everyone's just... It's like when we were at the park and dogs used to walk behind me. You guys remember that? 
I think there's a dog walking behind me. How come? That just came to my mind. Don't know why I shared it. There you go. Aren't you glad I have God's word, right? See, you remember that? Um, in this, this book of Acts, what, what, what's happening is the, the early church is getting started. And if you're unfamiliar with scripture, Jesus lived his life and he came and he died on the cross for our sins like he said he would. And he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament that said it would happen as well. So we have this fulfillment of prophecy, numerous prophecies that predicted what Jesus would do before it happened and then he did it. And he came to die for us to pay the penalty for our sin. And not only did he die for us, but then he rose again. And that's why we sing death was arrested has meaning to it because what we're saying is Jesus was killed and he died, but he did not stay in the tomb. He rose again. That's what we celebrate at Easter, the resurrected Christ. Because of his resurrection, we can be raised to new life as well. That's why we celebrated baptism last week as well. So the scriptures in the book of Acts follow this group of people that this early church, about 120 of them. It's very interesting. It's kind of like the size of Ridgeview, give or take, on a Sunday. They've seen Jesus, some up close, some knew him very well, some have heard of him, but knew of his ministry. They knew he died. They were eyewitnesses. Many thousands saw him rose again. They saw him alive, the person that was dead. So Christianity is founded on this eyewitness, very powerful eyewitness. You've seen it. That's a very heavy evidence. It's real. It happened in real time. And so you have this group of new Christians. And as you can imagine, like you had Jesus with you, leading you forward, who told you things would happen, and then they did. You're like, wow, this is amazing. Everything that he said came to pass. And then he did it. And then he was killed. And then you think like all hope was dashed. Like it's over. Then he rose again. It's like, Hope's here again. Could you imagine a roller coaster of being one of those earlier followers? This is the greatest thing ever. Oh, no, it's not. He's gone. It's over. And then he rises again. It's back again. And you know it happened one more time. You know why? Jesus ascended back into heaven. The reason I set this up is to be the early church in this time would have been a beautiful and stressful all-in-one. To have Jesus up close, seeing him, experiencing him, this work of God literally in the flesh, that you could see with your own eyes. He's here and then he's gone. And then three days later, he's back. And then he goes back into heaven. He ascends. He's gonna return. But we're in the period now where he's ascended and he's not returned yet. And what's so important is that what Jesus did, he gave to his followers, this group of people, he gave them a mission. And the mission is found in Acts 1.8. And you'll be my witnesses. And you're gonna proclaim me in every region of this world. And we stand here today on the shoulders of those people who took that proclamation from Christ and they lived it out. We're here because it was real to them. And this early church had Christ and then he left. And all they had now was the reminder of everything he had told them, the teaching. They had the Old Testament some of which some knew and some didn't. And then he promised the Holy Spirit, God himself, to guide and to lead you forward. And then they had each other. They didn't have so much of the the gifts and blessings that we have. They don't have like formal church buildings. They didn't have Christian radio. You know what? They didn't have written Bibles. 
Do you imagine? But they had this, the teaching that they received themselves. And so they decided, like, we can't feel sorry for ourselves. This movement can't end because we've seen something that changed our life. Christ who has risen. It changed everything. And it changed our history. But what was left is this church that said, well, we can't just stop. We have to move forward. And in Acts chapter 2, we see this work of God that happened. And the context is that there were people from the Jewish faith, Jews who were coming to Jerusalem for this harvest festival of Pentecost. And many of who would come for Passover, which is about 50 days before that. So you have this thousands of people, like this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate these festivals. And in the middle of what had been happening is Jesus had come and he had died and resurrected. And many people talked about it. Many people had heard about it. There was eyewitnesses who were there. But what began to happen was this group of people, the new Christians, the 120 stood up and said, we'll tell you about this Jesus. And Peter himself tells them all about Christ early in chapter two of the book of Acts. And he tells them, you must all repent and be baptized. That is, you need to stop doing what you're doing and you need to change direction of your life. You've come for this pilgrimage. You've come for this festival. You've traveled great distances. So many of you, you've come to celebrate. But I wanna tell you is the reason you're here is it's time for you to give your whole life to Christ. And he proclaimed that. And right before the passage that I'm gonna read, Peter gave this proclamation. He told them to repent and be baptized. And he said, save yourself from this crooked generation. You know what happened? 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus right then. Could you imagine if that happened right here and right now? What a work of God we would see. Could you imagine that? It's actually hard to imagine because don't you start thinking logistics? Well, there's not even enough chairs here. They won't even be able to hear you. There's a fire code violations that would be happening right now. Like we can't fathom that work that would, that happened. But my prayer is that that's the kind of work that God does. It doesn't matter if it's 3,000. What about three? What about 30? What about 300? What about one? It all matters. So there was now at least 3,120 Christians, a part of the movement that decided we're gonna give our whole life to Jesus. And then Acts 2 defines how they operated as a church. The reason I'm setting this up and I'm spending so much time on this, Acts chapter two, after 3,120 are now a part of this work. They now have to decide how we're gonna relate to each other. They're now deciding like what makes our community, what, what the functions, what are the things that we need to do? What's the, the, the places that we're gonna go? The things that we're gonna focus on, the things that we're gonna do. They knew that God had worked. There was a group, and now they need to move forward. And so with that context, let me read the scripture. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Go to the next slide there. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all 
as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This was written a couple thousand years ago, this early Christian movement. That because of the things that they did and their strategy, which was guided by the Holy Spirit in their lives, which they'd seen in the flesh by Jesus' life, these are the things that he did repeatedly again and again and again. We now have a movement that no religion in the world can compare to. Christianity. Because it's real. And God continues to do this work in his church today. And it's so great that we have guests from Germany because he continues to do this work in every region of the world as Christians gather. There's nothing like this because it's built on the foundation of the risen Christ. And if your life is based on the foundation of the risen Christ, you will build something different. And nothing that you build outside of that will compare. And so what I wanna do is I wanna kind of unfold based on this context and the work that God did then, uh, what we wanna do now. And so if you read that passage, if you go back and you see it on your, your handout, if you, you read this on your, your own, you can find a lot of action verbs. Like these are the things that they did. Uh, they devoted themselves to teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to breaking, the, breaking of bread. This breaking of bread could be like the Lord's Supper, also known as communion, which we're doing uh, in a couple weeks. But it also is breaking bread like we're having meals together, uh, but both and. Uh, they were devoted to, to prayer. So those things they were devoted to means like we're gonna do them and we're not gonna lose sight of them. Like we won't become absent-minded of these things. And then uh, they were together. That's actually an action, correct? Because to be together means you're doing certain things to be together, you get me? Somebody, one person gets me, good. And then uh, they had all things in common. Uh, That's one of our values, to be cohesive. They had all things in common. Does that mean they're all alike? Like they're identical? No, of course not. But they have the same vision. They're unified. We're gonna make the same commitments. We're gonna go after the same things. We wanna have all things in common because of what Christ has done. And then it gets even realer. We're gonna sell and distribute to those who have need. Like it's not yours, but it's mine, but I'll sell it and then help you. This was unique of the the early church. And then they attended the temple one big gathering together, and then they had meals and did worship together in homes. So big gathering, small gathering. They praised God, that's an action. They praised him literally. They had favor with others, God added. There's a lot packed into that passage. And so our role as a church today is we do not need to reinvent the wheel. What should we do as Christians? Again, God's word guides us unpacks what we should do. So I wanna just walk you through how we do this as a church. So our, our name is Ridgeview. I wanna want show you our strategy map. This is our strategy. We believe if you continue to do these things over time, you will grow. It's no magic formula. But if you, what we call, cross the ridge with us, you'll experience growth. So I'm gonna unpack each of these, but we believe if you regularly attend a worship service, you'll grow. One hour 
cannot change your life, right? That's a trick question. Anytime a pastor says that, right? You're like, no, it doesn't change. What are you, what are you saying? No, it's one hour. I heard a pastor say this, and it's so helpful. It's like anytime you, you deliver a, a sermon as a pastor, it's like standing on the overpass on a freeway, and you have semi-trucks coming, and you throw a ping pong. Let's see how we slow the semi-truck. That's my job, right? It's, it's like in one hour, you, you, you talk about something, but sometimes it's like the speed of life and the burdens that we have, we're just all semi-trucks moving along. It's like, well, what will one hour do? But God still uses it. One hour is not everything. That's why our strategy is not just R. It's more than R, okay? <laughs> that wasn't on my notes either, but uh, I invest and invite. We're gonna talk about that. Okay, this is a pattern in scripture. God was doing a work in the early church, but what had happened just before that? 3,000, and then day by day, God was adding. So there's expansion growth, sharing the story that God had done. Develop my life through learning, group with others, engage by serving. So this is our strategy, to cross the ridge together as a church. So let's unpack this. Um, Any hikers, you guys like to hike at all? Okay, we got some. Um, I think there's an image of, of that, that. This is one of my favorite uh, things in, on a hike. It's called a marker. Have you ever hiked and got lost? It's terrible. We went on a hike one time as a family. I, I heard some sighing already. I do have family present that were on this hike. Um, we went on a hike as a family once, and I'm following like the route on my phone, and it's like a red dot on a trail. And so you kind of keep like zooming in so you find the, the red dot and the trail. And all of a sudden, like the trail and the red dot were no longer together. And I realized I'm the red dot. And I'm leading a group of people who are red dots with me that don't know that we're not on the trail. So I'm trying to figure this out. Like, yeah, I think uh, you just gotta, we gotta turn here. And I'm just like flying blind. And then it gets to the point where everyone's like, dad, do you know where you're going? I have no idea, guys. I, I'm completely lost. And in fact, I think we literally need to turn around. And I think it costs us like an hour and a half on a hike. I mean, you've been hiking for a while. That's like not the greatest strategy. So strategy, it's like the marker like this. We, we hiked uh, Mount Baldy a couple years ago. And this marker is good. But then when you read the first one that says Devil's Backbone Trail, you're like, hmm. Do I really want to go that way? That's a, a good question. But it helps you. You kind of know, okay, at this amount of time, in this direction, we'll, we'll get there. So these strategy crossing the ridge, these are like the markers, okay? So the first, uh, regularly attend. First marker is regularly attend. Put that on there, and then I'll read the, the scripture that corresponds with that. This is Acts uh, 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and, and the prayer. So in there is a lot that they were devoted to. The first is the, the apostle uh, teaching. I'm gonna talk about that in, in a little bit. But the idea of like, we want to commit to these things and not forget these things, um, one of which is just to learn together, uh, to hear God's word uh, together. That, that's an important uh, commitment. But then also um, to the fellowship. And, and that word is koinonia, which means uh, it's this reciprocal commitment uh, where uh, you love somebody and they love you. And that love is expressed through service and they serve you and you serve them. And that's what the church should be. 
It's very difficult to serve each other, especially as a whole group, if we're not together. And so part of the reason you regularly attend is not only to learn, but then it's to specifically be a part of a fellowship where you do things and I do things and we do things together. And you do that in real time, in a real space. And then to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So these kind of signify some important things that the church does. We, we need to be hearing and learning God's word together. We can't forget that. We can't neglect it, as it says in the book of Hebrews. But it's more than teaching. There should also be this level of relationships that we have. The fellowship where we are relating closely in proximity. And that's why we gather on a Sunday. I don't know about you, but there's some Sundays where like, I'm not motivated. Right? Like there's a whole world called like Sunday brunch. Some of you know that. Like if you haven't come to church, well, you're like, oh yeah, I miss those days. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It could be Sunday NFL. It could be whatever. There's all sorts of things that you could do. It could be Sunday sleep, you know, Sunday relax, Sunday stay at home, like all, all sorts of things. There's things that draw us that we could do. But if you follow Christ, you have to realize that, okay, that there's just certain commitments I need to make. And so church being optional is one of those things that I, it can't be optional. I have to commit to it. There'll be Sundays where you miss and that's okay. But as a pattern, I, I, need, I need to be committed to it. And so by you attending today, you're actually making a choice that could help you grow. I believe that. If it weren't true, why, why are we doing it? I believe that God does something when we're gathered together. When we hear God's word together, God does something. When you ask somebody how they're doing and you sense you need to check on them and care for them and pray for them right here on a Sunday, God uses that. It's real. And so when you regularly attend, God does something that he can't if you don't. So that's the first, regularly attend. The second, invest and invite. And this is Acts 2, 47. So they're praising God. They're having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think this is really important because it, it's easy to, to look this over. The two words, having favor. Who'd they have favor with? People outside of the church. How would people outside of the church have favor with you? Well, they'd have to know you. They'd have to see you. They'd have to hear you. There's this like relationship that, that's happening because there's favor that exists. Favor actually takes time. Like you don't just get favor because you ask for it. You get favor because something happens over time where people begin to trust you, where people begin to see your life and it matches up with what you say. And so this early church was just not this group of 3,120 people that only had relationships with each other. Why? Because they had to work. Why do we know that? because they were motivated to make money. Why were they motivated? Because they wanted to give it away. They wanted to help. They wanted to fuel this movement, so they worked. Well, everyone at their work was not a part of the 3,120. And so when it says they had favor, there's actually something very significant there. And for us as a church, we believe that one of the greatest opportunities and gifts we have is the opportunity to share the difference that Jesus has made with others. Could you imagine these early Christians going to work and they're like, hey, how was your weekend? And they've just seen 3,000 people commit their lives to Christ. Do you think that would cause a stir? 
in the community? Of course. How was your weekend? It was good. Like, how do you answer that? So you can imagine all the conversations. Well, I don't know if you've heard, I'm a part of this like Christian church and it's crazy what's happening. Like, yeah, we've heard all these people, like what, what is going on? And you could just imagine the conversations. But it wasn't that they just became weird people. What? They had favor. So the way that they were relating, there was a certain amount of respect that they had. That means that they were treating people rightly. They were doing what God had said and it was making a difference. And that's the same opportunity that we have. So that's an important a marker for us. Um, you'll see these on the, the back table, and it's an Easter flyer. You have got two big, bigger ones on your, uh, in your program. We don't do these to make coasters, right? We don't do these to throw them away or to recycle them. We do them because investing and inviting is a crucial part of why we exist as a church. If you've never invited somebody to church, it can be very overwhelming. If you've never shared that you're a Christian, it can feel very overwhelming. But one of the things God wants to do is he wants to continue to grow you, to change you, for you to become a different person, and he wants you to be able to share that with others. Because the people that you're relating to at your work, in your family, in your neighborhood, on your street, where you frequent, they want to change. They want to grow. They want to be different type of people. They don't want to be stuck. So when you invest and invite, you said, hey, our church is having an Easter service. I'd love for you to come. And you hand them the flyer. And you try not to shake too much. But if you can, you just do a little prop with the, here you go. Just going to control the shaking because I'm really nervous. And you just, you hand it to them. I'd love for you to come. And you smile. And then inside you, God, just clear their schedule, soften their heart, draw them to come. You say that prayer inside maybe not out loud if they're close, right? But you just, you, you extend it. That, that's why we do this. If you don't follow us on social media, follow us on social media. We do that not so all of us are informed, but those are natural ways to invite. You can share things because we want to grow favor where people see they do different things than I and they live a different kind of life, but I like what I see. I wonder if I could be a part of that. People don't usually come to church unless they're invited. They don't think they're allowed. So when you invite, you're saying, there's a bridge here that you can walk across and we would love to have you join us. So one of the most powerful things you can do is invite people. And then invest, it just means try to get time with people. Try to open up your home so you can get to know people who don't know Christ. Invite somebody over, meet somebody for frozen yogurt. Do we still do that? Is that still a thing, Froyo? Mm, I'm getting mixed reviews. Okay, whatever you choose. But begin to just make an investment. Like, I care about you. I want to know you. You matter. And see what God does. So first marker, regularly attend. Second, invest and invite. And then the third is develop my life. Oh, here's the scripture. I've already kind of talked about it a little bit, but they and devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' uh, teaching. So, Again, the word devoted, it means to attend constantly, constantly diligent, or to persist. But it's not necessarily what you think. We live in a time where churches have become like something you consume, right? I don't know if you've ever been to a church, you're like, I just need to get fed. 
In Scripture, you feed yourself to train yourself in all godliness. It's actually up to us, if you're a follower of Christ, to get the training you need to grow. It's actually not up for anyone to train you. It starts with you. Because have you ever had somebody that tells you what you need to do without you wanting to do it? Does that work? Never. Here's all the things you need to do. And they give you a list. You're like, well, that's great, but I haven't asked and I don't really care. So you don't listen. But they devoted, each person devoted. They persisted. I want to learn. I want to grow. I'm hungry. Will you help me? If you're hungry to learn and to grow, you will. That's what God does. The great thing is, it just starts, and all of these connected, it starts sometimes just by coming and showing up. It's very hard to grow and develop your life if you don't come. So it's connected. But, it, but it's also part of our strategy as churches. We wanna help people kind of own their faith so they know how to walk with God themselves, to read the scriptures for themselves. You got one hour on Sunday, but what about all the other hours of your week? Well, if you can learn how to incorporate God's word into your life, you get perspective in his help in the moment. And if you learn to pray when you're facing a really difficult situation and you're not in church, but you need God's help right then and he comes through, you've grown. So develop my life is just saying like, I'm gonna make a commitment to, to grow. And that might start by learning spiritual disciplines. And so if you've been around church a long time and you still don't quite know how to, to read God's word and for him to speak to you, that's okay. We wanna help you as a church. If you're new and you don't even understand the Bible, you don't know where the books of the Bible are, you don't know what it's all about, uh, we wanna help you. That's why we exist as a church. It's our role, especially the leaders of Ridgeview, the staff of Ridgeview, what the scriptures say is to equip the church, the people of God for the ministry. I don't know if you know that. Pastors and leaders and staff, like we're not necessarily to do the ministry. Now we need to be doing it in our own life, but in the church, we're supposed to help you so that you can do it. My mentor says, the idea is uh, the pastors and staff, we wanna set the table for ministry. We wanna get it ready, make it look nice, get it set up so that when you come and wanna do ministry, it's like you, you get to sit down at the table and there's this banquet of ministry happening. That means there's a structure that needs to exist. There's assistance so that you can do what God's given you to do. So you can interact with the people that God's put in your life. And so... The idea of developing my life and being persistent in that, um, God, God will grow you. So as a church, one of the things we do, we, we wanna offer classes for you to be able to grow, spiritual growth. How to maximize your, your spiritual life, we, we do that. We, we have marriage classes and parenting classes. We have how to invest and invite. We call that the difference maker class. Uh, we have classes on, on finances. So our role as a church, we need to provide resources and training and help and give you what you need. And then your role is to do it. Now, isn't that hard? I don't know about you, but I know way more than I do. So develop my life through learning means I fill up, I understand, and then I put it into action and you grow. The scriptures say, if you just fill up with knowledge, you fill up with knowledge, you fill up with knowledge, what does it says if you're familiar with the Bible? Your head puffs up, you actually become an arrogant person. The danger of that is I've learned so much and I don't practice it. That means you know what to say, but you don't do it. We don't grow like that. We need to fill up understanding and knowledge 
Put it into practice. When you put it into practice, it now makes sense. If you don't put it into practice, you just kind of can get big-headed. Is that a problem in the church? Absolutely. So as a church, we, we have to be committed. Like, let's put it into practice. That's why we have next steps. I need to develop my life, and I need to do it. Does that make sense? Okay, so those are the first, uh, what is that, three markers? Let's go to number four. Group with others. We believe in groups. We, we're a group here, right? Could you imagine, though, if I said, all right, how are you doing? Who's got prayer requests? Would you guys, like, enjoy that? Depends how many prayer requests there were. Are you ready to be here till three? Probably not. It's very easy, even a church our size, it's easy to get lost, right? Because we actually kind of have that pull to us. Like, we kind of want to be known, but we kind of don't want to be known. And so in a bigger group, we know how to kind of like dodge. Hi, <laughs> stumble way out, right? It's easy. But when you're in a, like a group of 12, a little harder. It's harder to hide. You still can, but it's harder. So one thing group does, it, it allows you to be known, and that, that's very important. If you're unique because God's given you a specific DNA, that means you have something to offer that no one else can. You have a role to play in our church. But part of that role really becomes clear as you group in smaller groups. That's actually how we get bigger. You get bigger as we get smaller and relationships develop. And we can meet practical needs together. That's what was happening in the early church. Acts 2, 44 and 46, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread uh, in their homes. And uh, at Ridgeview, we have formal ways that this happens. We, we call them our groups. And we're in the middle of groups. How many of you guys are in a group right now, right? And we're reading a book on wisdom. Has that been helpful to you so far? It, it's a really dangerous question if everyone's like, nah, it's terrible, hate it, right? But I, I knew the answer. I know it's been helpful. So we have formal groups where everyone that just raised their hand is probably in different groups, some are together, but they're in a smaller group where they're reading some material, they're learning about wisdom, and then they're, they're getting to relate and build relationships. That's really important. And that's what our Christian forefathers did. They attended the temple. That's like our church. They attended together, but that wasn't enough. Why? Because it didn't, doesn't just say, and day by day attending the temple, period. What else did they do? They broke bread in their homes. That's like kind of not Californian. You don't invite anybody into your home. You lock that bolt. You make sure your garage door is nice and greased so it goes up and down really quick. You just get in your car, you wave to your neighbor. That was a close one, right? <laughs> Let's be honest, it's so, like, it's, that's not how we live life anymore. But as a church, we have to do this. You have to break bread in your home. Now, I'm just gonna speak a little bit. Like, this can be really stressful. Some of you are like, I'm, I love hospitality, I love people, and some of you are like, I don't want anyone to be in my house, ever. And if I have to make something, forget it. Like, right, it can be overwhelming. You have to clean. Our house is always the cleanest right before we have group. You know what I mean? If you've ever hosted, you're like, dude, that like two hours before group and then the next morning after group, the cleanest your house will ever be. Right. Can I get a witness, right? <laughs> but 
But it doesn't have to be that. What if you invited somebody over and it was unplanned and they see your dirty laundry? I mean, like literal. Like literal laundry. You know what? That's okay because they have laundry too. They have crumbs and messes and dirty floors. They had all things in common. So sometimes what prevents us from relating to people and inviting people in our homes is like, we expect it to just be something extravagant. It doesn't need to be extravagant. You just need to be committed to doing it. And so formally we do that in groups, but I think one of the most powerful things, and this is what's crazy about it, the unplanned, the organic, that has a lot of power. Will you come over on a Friday night? We'd love to have you over. Well, wow. <laughs> what are we having? Nothing. You bring your own Lunchable and you call it a day, okay? But <laughs> They still do Lunchables? I don't know. That sounds kind of good, though. I just gave an idea to some groups. They're like, Lunchable, let's do that, right? <laughs> but this, this is the heart of the church. It is. It's not the Sunday gathering. The heart of the church is groups. It's the heart. And God bless our group leaders here. If you're a group leader, will you raise your hand? I know there's some in here, right? Every week, they're a part of our strategy. They're like, we, we want these groups to happen. We're gonna lead these groups. But I wanna encourage you, whether you're in a group or not in a group, you can be a part of grouping with others. If you're not ready, and it's just like inviting somebody in your home, it's just, you're not ready for that, meet somewhere. Just do that. Take a step. Meet at Froyo if you still do that. You're, you're gonna be like, I gotta go get a Lunchable and I gotta go to Yogurt Land after church. We're gonna flood these places, right? But it's really important. Invite people to engage. Like, you, you matter. I wanna spend time with you. I wanna get to know you. I think that's the greatest thing of our, of our church is when I see people getting together outside of a Sunday, relationships grow. You need to be known. We all need to be known. You're facing things that you need people that know what you're facing and can pray for you. And groups are a way, like, as trust builds, as we look out for each other, God does something. And he did it in the early church, and he's doing it today. Last but not least, we need to engage by serving. Uh, Acts 2.45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as they had need what would you guys do if we had an offering? And I just said, all right, guys, I've done the inventory. I know all that what you have. And I just want you to write down all that you're willing to give away today. Would our number be added or shrinking? But this is what happened. And what's beautiful about this, they did it. This isn't like some early communistic approach of socialism. It was voluntary and they still had their own possession, but they, just, they kept just, how can we give and be a part of this movement? I love this because it just gets right to our Western culture. Oh, that's mine. I don't want to give it. I earned it. It's mine. Well, they, they had all things in common. They knew each other. Why? Because they were breaking bread in their homes. And could you imagine they're going to different homes and maybe people that didn't have a home? Like, you don't have a home. You're coming to our home. And we'll share with you what we have. Or maybe they went to a home and realized, man, this, this person is, is short on this supply, but we have a lot of these supplies. Let's give them what we have so they could have some. 
They knew the needs because they knew each other and they gave to it. This is the church I want to be a part of. This is the kind of church that can change our community. As we do all of these things, our lives will change. So here at church, practically, what that means is you're not coming in like with like hordes of possessions, like a laundry basket, like, you know, that's not how we do it. But, but there are people who, who do serve. Like we're gonna do all that we can to, to help. And that's what people do on Sundays. We have people that serve and we, we talk about that. And they volunteer their time to help from midweek to groups, to kids zone, to setting up and tearing down every single week. Why would people do that? Like literally, why would you do that? Because if people don't serve, it doesn't happen. Did you know that? If I were the person responsible for setting up for this service, you would be lucky if you had a chair. You definitely wouldn't have any of this. So people, where they're doing is like, I care about what we're doing so much that I'm willing to sacrifice my time, my energy, my money so other people can be a part of it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Now, for some of you, this is like, yeah, this is what I'm doing and I'm committed to it. For others, it's like, oh man, I just, it's hard. I'm working on the R. Be where you are. Work on the R, like regularly attend. Be a part of the current. Be a part of this environment. You're welcome here. There's no pressure. But there's a time when you've been here where it's time, like, I need to take the steps across the ridge. Any hike, sometimes you don't know where you're going, and it can be a little bit alarming or overwhelming. Like, I don't quite know what's going to exist around that turn. And the church is the same. God's calling you forward, and there's part of it that's just, I don't know, I'm not ready for that. You know how you're ready for it. You take the step. That's what faith is. God will not give you all the answers and he will not give the growth. If you wanna grow, you have to commit. Commitment precedes growth every time. So these are the things that you have to do. And so last is this, is as we cross the ridge together, we see some amazing views. Just like on a trail, that the markers of God is to the summit. When we get to the summit, you see like, wow, I didn't know this existed. I told you we, we hiked Baldy a couple years ago. Here's some pictures. That's the Devil's Backbone Trail. At this point on our journey, we had been at it hours. And my wife was, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. And as a husband, I had a dilemma. Well, I've worked really hard to get to this point and I really wanna do it. We're gonna have to just turn around. And I just started like kind of getting like, oh no, we can't turn around. It's like, yeah, that, that's kind of unsafe. And then, you know, it's like the classic, like, well, I think, I think it's why, like, I had a goal, right? Like, I hadn't come this far to turn around. And so we, we did it and we, we walked across and then here's the view that we got. 10,000 feet. And then I think the next picture, you don't get that view without walking the trail, without crossing the ridge. So I wanna encourage you. I know that there's fear. As I give more, what about me? 
as I extend myself? What about me, my family? But what you find is what you give, God will take care of you and he will bless you because he's God. He has all the things at his resources to take care of you as you decide to follow him. And here's the promise, chapter two, verse 43. This is what happened in the church. And awe came upon every soul. and Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, there were just literally miracles happening. And we don't see those. Miracles do exist, but we don't see those in the frequency that the early church did. It was really the fuel that they needed, remember? They needed to push this movement forward and God allowed these signs and miracles to affirm what they were saying. We don't see that in the same way. But these signs and wonders are still happening. It changed lives. Hearts of stone that are moved to hearts of flesh. Lives changed. People giving their, their whole life to God. And so the amazing view is God working. And God works in our church as a group of people like us. In our number, decide to commit to certain things. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are, cross the ridge. Work on one. You sense God speaking to you. He's like, that's the thing that I need to do. I need to focus on. Do that thing. And as you do, God will grow you. And as we do that together, God will grow us. And imagine, as we're approaching Easter, imagine what God could do as we invite guests and they come in and they see a group of people that are radically committed to following Jesus. Imagine what he could do. And he wants you to be a part of that. Let me pray as the band comes up. God, thank you for the example of our Christian brothers and sisters before us who set the pace, who had faith, who decided that they would do what you told them to do. So we stand on their shoulders. We're not forging our own path we're going on the path that you've marked out for us. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of the church. Uh, globally, the church that you've united under Christ, but also here locally, this church here at Ridgeview. I thank you for all the people that you've drawn to our church, for the different backgrounds and experiences, the gifting, the desires, the makeup, the personalities. It's a beautiful mosaic of your handiwork. So I pray that you will raise us up as a church to continue to do what you've called us to do, that your mission will be on the forefront of our minds and that we'll continue to take our step. God, we don't just wanna learn and get knowledge, we wanna learn and live it out. Will you help us with that? In the name of Jesus, we pray.